Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Asia Tech Podcast joined today by Gustavo Liu, a friend and co-host of the Blockchain Asia Show with Michelle Wonderland here in Singapore. Now, Gustavo has a fascinating journey taking him from being born in Taiwan to Latin America to later coming back to Asia to work in finance and later to help startups and help startup investors raise money with the work he does at The Hungry Lab. So Gustavo hosts the Blockchain Asia show and he sits across the table from blockchain fanatics on a regular basis and learns about their story, learns about what it is that they're trying to do to change the world. So that ability to understand people's story, to understand it from the perspective of not being right in the middle of the action is something that we're going to talk about today. And learn as well what Gustavo has learned in his journey in moving and being in different places in the world in different times. That's all coming up in the next 45 minutes with Gustavo Liu here on Asia Tech Podcast. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. This is Asia Tech Podcast. My name is Graham Brown. We are in the Asia Tech Podcast studio in Singapore with Gustavo Liu. Gustavo, welcome. Hi, thank you. This is the first time I've interviewed you, even though we shared this studio many times. Yeah, on this seat, this on seat. this side of the And you, you of often sit here as well Yeah, and interview guests. Well, sometimes Michelle sits over there. So uh, <laughs> totally get pedantic. But you, you're doing a Blockchain Asia show tonight here yep. in less than an hour. And there's um, four people today, yeah. actually. Yeah. Okay, cool. So purpose of this podcast is find out a little bit more about you and your podcasting journey. Mm. what you do, why you do it as well. Yeah. So for those that don't follow the Blockchain Asia podcast, um, maybe we can talk a little bit about you first and where you're from. You've got a really interesting background. The name itself gives it away, Gustavo Liu. Yeah. Those two names are not often seen next to each other. You've got a, a Taiwanese name and a, a Spanish and a Spanish or, name, yeah. yeah. Which is oftentimes why people think that, especially those that don't know much about like Spanish names and all of that, they think that I'm like from Philippines or from like uh, Indonesia. <laughs> right, Philippines, there's a lot of Spanish names, right? So. Yeah, but I, I don't think that I have actually met any Filipinos with like Gustavo. It's very like Latin America, right. Spain type of regions. So what is the story? Explain. There's a, there's a, so is Liu a Taiwanese name? That is, that is a last name. Or is yeah, that a Chinese, not... more of a mainland Chinese name? Is that identifiable? Um, it's actually, well, across like the Asian, oh. um, Chinese sort of community, you would see, be it from Malaysia or you came from Hong Kong or the mainland China or Taiwan. Um, it's a very popular, it used to be a last name of an emperor mm. in, in China, mm. right? And that is kind of the descendants of that emperor. Right. I mean, everybody has a last name that sort of got carried over centuries and centuries. Right. And uh, yeah, so story. Um, basically, we immigrated to Latin America. So my parents left um, Asia, Taiwan specifically. Um, when I was the age of five. Mm. So you were born in Taiwan? I was born in Taiwan, oh, okay. right. but I was never raised there. Yeah. So since like the la my earliest memory, like which I don't have much, right? Yeah. Even these days, I can't even remember my phone number. But <laughs> it's like when I was five, um, we immigrated to Latin America and essentially lived between the border of Paraguay and Brazil. Right. 
between the border where, where did you actually live which one did you live in um so it was like half of the time in part on the paraguayan side and then the other half in okay. the brazilian side it was sort of like here to jb brazil yeah. uh, here you know singapore to jb so you leave kind of uh, across around. the river was it across a river just across like right. you could see the river right from your house oh, there was a river that divided you and yeah. you had to it's called the friendship river right why what was going on um, well, we, you know, in the Paraguay side, it was sort of known to be the, during the eighties, mm. it was a very sort of a stronger, if you know, like back then during the Nazi period, mm -hmm. a lot of Nazis, um, kind of went to Latin America, um, and stronger was one of the main sort of refuge, um, for the Nazis. And mm. he was a German dictator that dominated a lot of the sort of Paraguay, um, region at that time. And, um, and it was sort of almost lawless. So mm. it was naturally, I mean, you get a lot of chaos, but at the same time, a lot of opportunities. And so Taiwanese people, or Chinese people in general, being mm. very opportunistic and very business-minded, um, there was a large community of very diverse group of um, immigrants. So my parents were actually the first, uh, one of the earliest sort of migrant entrepreneurs that left Taiwan and went over there. Mm. And essentially, you got the Arabs, you've got Koreans, you have um, not so many from mainland China, but they mm. were like second, third generation Japanese um, sort of congregating around that area. And they traded a lot of um, imports, electronics. And, you know, you, you know, during back then, the 80s, I don't know if you remember, they used to have everything made out of Taiwan. Yeah. Like your yeah. silver spoon and Absolutely, all that. Absolutely, yeah. So all of that, a lot of that was sort of, you know, went in, in, in Paraguay. And also because there was no import tax, as compared to across the border where Brazil had a much higher import tax. Mm. Uh, well, Brazil had a whole different set of like corruption issues during that period of time. The currency went from cruzados to cruzados to real within a span of like less than 10 years, mm. right? Um, and on our side, essentially, um, Paraguay families went there. They built a uh, sort of like a trading business, a very vibrant one, but it was very unsafe to stay in Paraguay. So oftentimes you found families sort of sending their family, their kids to Brazil. Mm. They would cross the border early in the morning and then at night they would go back again to Brazil because it was safer wow. in Brazil. Wow. So they were actually working in Paraguay but living effectively the families yeah. in Brazil. Well, why do they choose there of all places? Because you said they were the first generation to go. Well, one of the fir earlier, first families. One of right. the earliest. Right. Um, but you would have thought if you, you looked at a map, right, yeah. we're here in Taiwan. Where are we going to go? Yeah, you know. Even mm, if you let me think about it. Like <laughs> West Coast America. Even if you sort of draw a line down from Taiwan, I'm trying to think this through down to South America, right? You know, you're gonna maybe even like think Hit about Australia. so many other countries and everything. Right? Even yeah, like Chile. Yeah. Um, maybe at the time, you know, Chile with Pinochet, and that wasn't so safe. It wasn't such a great option. But maybe Argentina, or I don't know. Why did they choose there of all places? Was it something that was where they just took a risk, or is that what Taiwanese did back then? Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know when um, the very earliest first uh, sort of Taiwanese that ended up, did end up there. But what I do know is that um, during those 80s, 70s, there was a lot of com uh, commissioning of the Taiwanese government and trying to um, secure um, friendship ties with different type of countries, even as of today, yeah. because of the political tension between Taiwan and China. Um, Taiwan spends a lot of money and effort in trying to establish this type of like friendships, right? Um, and Paraguay was one of those countries, mm. um, and especially because there were um, groups of um, commercial Co commerce, Com you 
used to be called the Taiwanese Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. And they would be set up in different parts of the world with that intention, which is to make friendships with those countries and in part is try to revive and hire the local people, blah, 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 right? Um, and in, during that period, it made sense because Paraguay was sort of lawless. I mean, if Taiwan wanted to export mm. and be an export country, to a country that would be able to accept with very low import cost. The Paraguay, well, not all of the country, but like Paraguay would be a natural, one of the natural, although it was very far. Whoever started it was brilliant because mm. you went there. As long as you learn how to speak Spanish, your um, competition is pretty much known because yeah. nobody dared to go there. Yeah, And for those that play safe, they ended up in North America. Mm. But then in North America, there were so many Chinese speaking. Right. Not only do you have the, that, that wave of migrants, you've got the ones before, even earlier than that. And it was just a lot more competitive. I would actually argue that the Taiwanese that went to Latin America managed to build their wealth in a sh much shorter span of time mm. um, than the, those that went over to North America. So by a twist of fate following that, you, you are back here in Singapore. Mm. So, I mean, interesting what you say, those generations, did, did many of like your generation now come back to Asia? They, yeah. So what happened is um, after the World Cup in, um, I think it was around 2000, mm. um, there was a, like, a major one that was held in, in Brazil. Maybe right, Brazil, 2002. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere there. Yeah. Um, and the economy suddenly shifted direction. Right. So those that did make money, um, they knew that it wasn't a future for their children mm. because one, it was a it was a place where you were very transactional. You made money, but then it wasn't somewhere you want to live for the rest of your generation. You mm. ultimately those that went there were, as the name says, migrant entrepreneurs. They believed that one day they would still go back to their home country, mm. and that was what essentially happened. Those that had the ability to send their kids to other parts. In our case, we, my parents, sent me to the UK, um, south of the UK, Dorset. Yeah, that was like very, very um, in the Culture middle of nowhere. Shock. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere, very proper boarding school. Um, but then majority of the Taiwanese that had kids in Latin America ended up sending their kids to um, North America. Yeah. So U.S., Canada. And essentially what um, over the years, they, they were just, you know, the original parents that were left there because mm. the kids were already going to and then all of the other relatives were back in Taiwan. So natural sense is once you've made enough money, like mm. you wouldn't want to stay there. You are there on your own. Right, you get out. Yeah. So you get out and yeah. you go back to Taiwan again or you So there to... must be like a really interesting sort of diaspora of Taiwanese entrepreneurs who have gone through that all over the world. Mm -hmm. you, you see that in interesting sort of like groups, whether it's the Irish and they've left Ireland in the 16th, 17th century, and they've gone all over North America and all over the world, the Scots later in the 19th century. The Taiwanese must have spread everywhere. Yeah. So the, the funny thing is about the, those that went to Latin America versus the ones that went to North America mm. were completely different. And what I mean by that is that those that went to Latin America um, were never integrated with the community. They yeah. still were you know, within their own little cluster. Whereas those that went to Latin North America, they ended up very integrated. They and became American. They become American. Yeah. They, they speak, in fact, Chinese with an accent, 
with a, what they call ABC accent. But the ones that like us that grew up in Latin, none of my peers that grew up and some even some of those that were born there, we had our own school, we had our own community, our own supermarkets, our own restaurants. There was no need to even integrate with the except for like the employees and all of that, right? Mm. But almost everybody in the circle were like they owned their own businesses and they yeah. had the ability to do so because of how the environment is. It's like, you know, you didn't need a lot of money to start business. You just have to work a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, and have, have a little bit more of a global mindset. You yeah. think about Paraguay, right? Where it was in the middle of Latin America, right smack in the middle. There's no sea surrounding it. So most people in Paraguay are during that period, maybe now have changed, but back then have never even seen the sea or heard about what shrimps are or crabs. They used to think the Chinese people eat spiders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you don't do it. Which, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Not us, but I've seen them on the right. streets of Beijing. But you very much existed as a bubble. You, you speak Spanish, though. So we, growing up in that particular part of Paraguay, which is between the borders of Paraguay and Brazil, you you end up speaking Paraguay, uh, Paraguay it was Spanish, yeah. and Brazilian Portuguese. Brazilian Portuguese. Yeah, which is different from Portugal Portuguese. Right, right. Okay, so you speak Brazilian Portuguese, Spanish. And Spanish, yeah. And... Taiwanese Chinese and Taiwan Mandarin Mandarin uh, yeah. I speak Taiwanese as well yeah. because my parents are in uh, family wise we speak Taiwanese at home right. but in the school that was taught in the in the in, in Latin America the Chinese community was Mandarin Chinese yeah now I find this interesting fascinating you know if you sort of tie all these elements together and the fact that you've also lived in the UK in Dorset of all places which is you know a world away from Paraguay mm. Um, and, and as safe as you can get, really, in terms of an upbringing, especially in a boarding school. And then you're here in, in Singapore as well. You know, putting all that together is that you've you've seen a lot of things. You speak many languages. You've been exposed to many cultures. You've um, you've not sort of been born in one place. Grew up there your whole life, and that's all you know. Um, and you've also chosen to come places like here in Singapore as well, and chosen to, this to be part of your story, right? And that, as the whole sort of entrepreneurial story in itself, is, is fascinating. Especially here in Singapore, we see so many people who have come here from the outside. Yeah, you know, there there are local Singaporeans, right? And you are, I mean, you're a Singaporean citizen. Right? I'm a citizen now. Right, yeah, a citizen. Wait. Okay, so there you go. So you are a Singaporean. You, you know, you're a man. You're a chameleon, right? Who adapts <laughs> to the environment. So, I mean, that sort of whole thing about travel and entrepreneurship. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you think there are parallels and you know, you've lived in outside of your comfort zone your whole life. Well, I think a well, funny, funny point on that, actually. I've never actually lived more than five years in a w one single country until I came to Singapore. It was five years here, five years there, five years here, there. The longest place, country, single country I've ever stayed was, didn't exceed five years. And then I came to Singapore. The first year I hated it. Yeah, and then and that was essentially what I had a conversation with my HR back then that just joined um, Citibank, and I asked her, "How do you like Singapore?" And she was like, "I've been here for eight years." She was from Canada, and she was like, "I hated the first year, but now I can't leave." And I've been next thing when I remember this conversation was already ten years after, mm. and I was already in Singapore for ten years. This was the country; it's very comfortable to be here. Mm. Um, and the reason why I ended up here is because you know it was I went to Taiwan. And I didn't see, it was a very Chinese speaking, it was very Chinese culturally. Um, I needed somewhere that is slightly more, um, 
that where I would have some um, competitive advantage. Mm. And language back then was one of the main competitive advantage. And you know, Singapore being such a diverse sort of cosmopolitan place, it wasn't as crazy as where I consider. I mean, Hong Kong is great, but I think it's a little bit chaotic in my opinion. I think Singapore had a good balance and mm. it was right smack in the middle of Southeast Asia. Now, in terms of opportunities, entrepreneurial-wise, from a personal perspective, what I found is that, and we work with a lot of startups as well, and where, where, what I've seen is that the ability to take risk and to say, I'm just going to go and do it. So mm. think about it in this perspective. They're kind of in parallel, right? Um, when we are going for a journey, a startup business, an entrepreneurial journey, it's just, it doesn't matter. Like, you could plan until the cows come home, and at the end of the day, no matter how good your plan is or how convincing your plan is, if you did not execute it, it's still just as it is. It's a plan. A good plan is only determined after it's been implemented. Mm. And the ability to just go and do it is what determines whether you are, it crosses between you are a planner or a strategist, a consultant mm. versus mm. an actual entrepreneur. And I think it's the same thing for a migrant, for somebody who goes around different countries. I mean, you've been around yeah. a different part of the world, right? Absolutely. And do you? it's the difference between do I do enough research and how much enough research yeah. or do I just let it pack my bags and <laughs> the buy the answer. ticket and go. Right. You can you can spend forever yeah, thinking I, about what it could be, what it might be, but you just get on the plane and go, right? Yeah. And that was what happened. Like when my parents back in the um, mid 80s, mm. they were, you know, they had a thousand five hundred. They're probably my biggest idol. If there's any role model, mm. I would say that my parents, because they had two children. They didn't speak a single word of Spanish. I mean, you can see it whether they're stupid or <laughs> just yeah. they were being too, you know, too, too rush or everything. But they actually just packed the bag yeah. and just went, we, even though we, they only had 1,500. And life is funny. It's just things kind of fall into place. Yeah. There was so much uncertainty. Um, but had you never taken that risk, right, things would have been very different. In fact, 20 years later, when we went back to Taiwan, we lost contact with the whole of the, our family in Taiwan. They build their business, and then when they finally had enough, um, and they did very well, you know, enough to send my sister and I to study overseas, and then they they had a house and retire enough retirement money. Um, they went back to Taiwan, and then we met all of a sudden all of our other relatives, mm. and they weren't very far from where they were like 20, 25 years before that. Yeah, isn't that amazing? And just like that change of just like time stopped and they moved yeah. on right risk risk and reward you mm. know that is something and even now then when i work uh, I work, although i work in finance mm. a lot of that sort of qual ability to sort of calculate risks yeah it doesn't matter At but the do you think it's, it's real risk as well because you're talking about i mean there's a risk of let's say you invest 50k in my company and i lose it right yeah. you know and i just squander it that you know is that real risk as opposed to getting off your ass and going to a new country? Because I wonder as well, you sit a lot across the table from entrepreneurs. You do a podcast, we'll come to that in a minute, with entrepreneurs as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talk to entrepreneurs all the time of different levels. Yeah. From the guys, there's, you know, the guys who are 19 that years old, just yeah. starting out. Yeah. There's a guy who's got 30 years experience who's leaving, you know, the corporate. So there's that as well. And, you know, you, sometimes I wonder, like... I wish they had that attitude of like your parents, you know, the get up and go and do this stuff. Right. And sometimes I think that in the startup world, it's like we, 
have turned it more into like a career choice. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to start a startup now. Yeah. But it's actually, you know, they've got to have that kind of attitude, which I don't know, you can't train that. You learn that from families, right? You learn that from the people around you where you see, oh, this is what mom did and this is what dad did and this is what the uncle did. And, and there real. are researchers that argue is genetic as well, um, related, right? Because, I mean, every decision-making, every ability to sort of think about different ways, this is everything from genetics to influencing your ability to want to just, just go and do it. And how, how much, how much, how badly do you want it? Yeah. You think it's genetic? Well, I think... I mean, what isn't genetic, right? right. Like everything. I know you've gone into this space before talking yeah. about genetic. And we talked about determinism, <laughs> right? You believe in that. And there were research and books written on that, which right. I do. I mean, if we, and I think there's a fear always about like having to accept that those kind yeah. of ge understanding about genetics, because that once you embrace that, I think the fear is then what about, you know, all that grind and that self-determination and the yeah. environment and all of that, that is no genetic factor. But setting that aside, I think there are many, many factors that right. determine. Genetics only determine and It's like the hard wiring, isn't it? You're disposed to a certain way of behaving. It doesn't mean you'll end up like that. It means you're, you're wired in a certain right. way. Right. Yeah. And it's only a part. It's, it's not a determinant. It's just yeah. a probability factor. Input, yeah. Um, I think everything else is like what you said, right? The, just sometimes I think entrepreneurs just... It's, you you can sit there and I think what you, what you find with a lot of scientists and mm. that want to be entrepreneurs is that a lot of innovation happens um, in the lab but mm. nothing gets out of the lab those that have the ability to take that or whatever has been created or it, maybe not even innovative something that has already been exi in existence yeah. but applying it wrong in the right way um, has proven to show that there, if they can prove that there is a demand a customer demand, then yeah, why not? Yeah. You know, that is an opportunity there. I think Execution. that is the difference between an entrepreneur. Um, uh, well, I would say what the similarity between an entrepreneur and a migrant mm. would be a migrant entrepreneur is that they just, they uh, identify opportunities. They're very yeah, good. Yeah. I don't want to say opportunistic, but they are, they when they identify the opportunity, they don't wait and they don't plan that much. They just yeah, take go. action. Yeah. Yeah, that is the strategy, take action. 99% perspiration. Absolutely. So let, let's talk about your podcast because that's obviously one of the reasons why we're here. Yep. You run the Blockchain Asia show. Um, I want to sort of understand a little bit about why you podcast. Yeah. I, I'm not preaching to the choir here, but no. it's like, you know, why you do it, you know, and not a lot of people get it why you should podcast anyway. But for you personally, why do you sit in front of people in the blockchain space and find out about their stories. What's interesting to you about that? Well, why podcast? Well, that's how, how we met, right? right. <laughs> to your answer, my mom always said I had a face for radio. <laughs> that's <laughs> that my was, joke. Come that's on. That's what you said, right? Um, but no, but like we essentially, that's how we met. Like I, when I heard you were doing a podcast um, and that was, you know, thanks, Dennis. That was, you know, a great yeah. introduction. Um, so then, you know, like for me, it was... I've always liked this medium of um, of of getting in touch with the wider audience. I think that in comparison to all of the other different types of mediums, like we're talking about writing, which is blogging, mm -hmm. right? That went decentralized. We're talking about um, TV recording, um, video, YouTube that went decentralized. So it was a matter of time before radio got decentralized mm -hmm. somehow, and I think podcasts came in. But why why radio and not? Why aren't you on YouTube, like building your YouTube channel? Well, the ability to be focused, I think is about your different senses. Mm. And visually, 
I think I'm I'm very easily distracted. And the ability to listen to something while I'm doing something else, it enabled me to feel like I'm initially the earlier years to feel like I was learning something and still being productive. I mean, mm. try getting me to read something, which I love reading, but I can't stay focused and read on the same thing. Mm. Whereas, and I can carry a, you know, a bunch of books. And the other, the one option would be, yeah, I could swift around my, my phone while I'm walking, which is terribly dangerous, right? Yeah. But listening, yeah. I can still focus because our eyes are like the gateway of everything. And yet I still am learning and gathering resources. Mm. And I would say like some of the earliest fascination for podcasts for me was when I was listening to other sort of um, entrepreneurs, um, things that I really wanted to learn and um, I was able to capture while I was on the go. Right. And being yeah, a very what, what are you listening to? Their stories or yeah, I was listening to their startup um, journeys. Mm. Um, there, I was listening to them, sort of their their pivots, their failures, and for the first time, I felt like it's something that I didn't need to watch it. Mm. I could just listen to it. I think we're so captivated with TV that, and also the fear that you know, am I gonna go have to start wearing glasses? When I'm like, if I watch too much TV, you know how your parents always say, don't get too close to the, of the screen and everything. Yeah. And I'm already staring at the computer back then. I, as a computer scientist, my, my background is being a programmer. So I already looked at computers enough. Did I want to be looking at my phone while I was commuting? Not really. Mm. But well, I would like to be listening stuff. I think as well, it's interesting that you and I are having this conversation now i mean i've known you now for quite a few months four or five months yeah well seven 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 months i think I we started in back Singapore. in may yeah no but we knew each other before you came to oh Singapore. yeah of course yes we spoke didn't we? Yeah. I, I remember speaking to you in japan yeah. that's right yeah, yeah that's right but we actually met four or five months ago yeah. i think after Around I came may. Here. Yeah. so um but actually this is the first time we've actually sat and had a really good conversation i know we had good yeah. conversations but deep to find out more about you because i think you could go on having conversations with friends for years and not actually ever get to that sort of level. You say, oh, that's really interesting. Your, your story about your family is quite fascinating and what they've done. I knew you went to Panama. Paraguay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> all right. Start again. I knew you went to Paraguay and yeah. I knew your parents were from Taiwan and all that. But the, the real sort of why behind it, all yeah. of that is um, something that we haven't sort of talked about before. No. So I find that quite interesting is that, yeah. you know, you can have these conversations, especially with people you think you know. Yeah. Uh, and in a podcast scenario, it's not awkward. <laughs> right, right. It feels completely natural because yeah. we, we know we're not going to go off and talk about lots of other different kinds of subjects. Yeah. It's like th there's this sort of like, well, a reasonably defined space we're talking about it. Right? Yeah. And that is sort of, sort of and, and that ability to sort of communicate and just be very comfortable mm. um, was essentially what fascinated me with like the content that was created within podcasts, right? There's so much distraction when you watch a video. I mean, I love videos, but um, it's that distraction on your eyes, then you, in yeah. your ears. But you know for a fact that when you are listening audio, like the concentration, everything is revised. So the content is far more important than when you're, because you don't get that that sort of added value what you, of what you get when you're watching something. Mm, mm. And that is where, where I find, if you can do something on the podcast space, it's very much like blogging. If you can get somebody to sit down and read your blog from beginning to end, like you know you've, you've done something right. Mm. Um, but then connecting to that, which I touched a little bit about like decentralization and how everything was sort of just become 
very you've given back the power to the people to be able to record something yeah. and share their what interests them right um what's essentially behind the story why blockchain was created and i think being somebody with um technology background but also w having worked over 10 years in finance mm. the the more I understood about how blockchain as a technology, I mean, never mind the crypto space. It's still fun to look at the crypto space, you know, and, and everything and how it's made money and, and the purposes used behind the crypto. But on the blockchain technology area where for the first time, things don't have to be centralized. Mm. It could be in everybody's computer and it could be in everybody's like everywhere pretty much. It was went very hand in hand with what I kind of believed with, um, the sort of like uh, podcast being sort of in the everybody's ear. Mm. I know we haven't gotten there yet, mm. um, but I do think that the more people that came to learn about podcasts and the more sort of content, the richer the content came about, it will it attracted more people and a bigger audience. That's kind of what's happening with blockchain. Um, with the early years of blockchain, there were very few people that understood it. But as the years came by, the quality of blockchain projects that came out uh, they started to come. You're now seeing more quality people coming in to build it, but also more of a larger mass market um, mm -hmm. audience to want to be part of it. And so um, the recent one that we, we kind of, uh, that fascinated me was this company called Tara mm. and was essentially trying to use blockchain, right? Whether they are using blockchain um, to, um, for, to go in competition with Grab and uh, Uber. Mm. And that is fascinating, right? Compared to like, say, if you didn't have a technology that mm. was able to support that kind of um, demand. And so the same thing goes with podcasts. To me, I don't know. I don't know whether podcasts will ever be fully be immersive and merged with blockchain mm. as a technology. But I do think that um, podcasts as a medium will take off. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. So what have you learned in that process? You, you've done how many podcast episodes on blockchain now um like six six, six seven, right yeah okay so um you know it's such a, a vibrant space there's so many different voices out there and you have positioned yourself as a host in that space where you know you're giving a voice to other people rather than i'm gustavo Liu. this is what the world is going to be like, and this is what I think. You Listen know, to me, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm like the preacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're, you're you're inviting people in, and you're giving them a platform yep. to do that, right? So, what have you learned in that process by sitting and listening to people's stories and hearing about people talk about blockchain? And they, they, these are believers, right? You haven't had the the heretics in so far, yeah, to talk about blockchain. Um, I would actually. Well, I want to thank you. Because you allow me to be part of this ecosystem, and I think being part of you know the Asia Tech podcast enabled that, and I I, I am very very appreciative of that. I think going from a fanatic person who likes to listen to all every single sort of other people doing their podcast um, to be able to sit here and you know sit down and, and bring in different um, kind of um, experts into mm. the room and have very insightful, rich conversation. That is extremely um, uh, surreal, I would say, because most of the time you listen to podcasts, but very few of the time you get that, um, that um, statue to be able to, to, 
talk to them, right? Mm. And lear I learned a lot from the from from um, our guests. In fact, each one of them have a different field of expertise. Mm. I mean, just to name a few, we've had a female um, blockchainer. We call them blockchainers. Um, Magda, she was yeah a, last week. She was yeah, amazing. Cybersecurity engineer. I mean, how many cybersecurity engineers do you see as as females? Women, yeah, yeah. not many. Uh, how many blockchainers do you see as women yeah. who are like programmers and everything? And how many do you see that are cybersecurity and blockchainers, right? Um, and I think we were streaming like you see that. And then we've had we've I mean, just she's just one, I and mean, we have so many others like Ross, for example. He, yeah, he was good. He was building something on the geomain. He was trying to go against like a lot of the sort of URL, yeah. um, GPS type of you know combination systems. And then we have a few that were doing the medtech met space. Mm. Um, in the normal scenario, if it wasn't because of this type of setting, we would never be able to have, just like to your point, not even get to know them, but like to even talk about their technology. Yeah. You, after a few beers, you know, kind of conversation kind of swift to a different direction. Absolutely. As much as I appreciate to know who they are as a, as a as a human being, which I, I I very much take that effort to do that. I also want to spend some quality time. And back then, I remember receiving advice. You know, when you from somebody who was very very wealthy and they had a you know private jet, and he was like, whenever I want undisturbed focus, um, I would take them on my private jet. Ah. And obviously, they don't. Have, I know. Right? We're <laughs> sitting in our private jet here now. This is it. <laughs> And this is it's a cheaper version. Yeah. Well, it, it forces them to That's focus. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. And you get to ask anything you want. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. That that is really interesting. I've learned something, and yeah. I, I just kind of now I get it. And that to me is gold. I mean, yeah. how well? When else did you? I remember being a banker, and we were always trying to get the you know 110 percent focus from the client. Yeah. But you know that for any moment, it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Any moment, there's something else more important than you. Right. Right. I mean, who else? There's so many more important than me, me sitting here and talking to my banker, right? Right. Like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Wow, that is really interesting, Gustavo, and I, I really appreciate that sort of insight. And um, aware of the time. And I know you're going to go live soon. So I just want to ask you one question finishing up. Sure. Um, you sit with a lot of interesting people, you know, and people may say, oh, blockchain, you've got to sit with Vitalik Buterin, right? Because nah. he, he's yeah. like the man. Or you've got to sit, sit with the Binance guys, for example. But you sit with a lot of people who aren't as famous as them. How, how do you justify that? That you know, what are they of worth in this sort of whole dialogue going out there? I wouldn't say fame. I, okay, so fine. There's famous. I think it could be defined in various ways. You could be um, famous in the blockchain space, right? Yeah. And in Vitalik Buterin's area, he's famous on like Ethereum because of all the applications of Ethereum. And the same thing you've got. And that is one of the interesting facts. Um, can you detach the fame of that person with the importance of the technology? Right. Because ultimately, if you look at Bitcoin, which has taken off, nobody knows exactly who is Satoshi. But then mm. it, would, it is ultimately, everybody's able to appreciate what the white paper is about mm. and create a technology. I mean, a universe of what it is today, right? So uh, today, like if you look at the people that we bring in, they share all the sort of things, experiences that they've come across, um, that they've acquired over the years, and they essentially are applying on the blockchain, that 
I think is far more important than that name factor. Mm. Um, obviously, they have built their own reputation, and the people that we bring on have a, a certain degree of sort of um, work that they've done on the blockchain space. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known about them mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, but um, the fact that they were able to um, sort of that passion of being part of the ecosystem and build the blockchain surpasses their fame, their personal name. You know, they didn't put their name on their work. It's, mm. it's that is that is that to me is pure passion. And those are the people where the the story we want to really learn about because it goes beyond like what have you achieved and what have you done, right? Because mm. we can always find that out through LinkedIn and all of the other sort of um, social media space. Um, websites yeah that's awesome all right well, let's put the the shout out there for the blockchain asia show what kind of people would you like to see on the show in the future what was the kind of you know is there more of a certain type of guest you'd like to sort of get on and hear their story i mean right now i think blockchain still is it's very infant infancy stages although a lot of people sort of saying that, you know, it's doomed or it's sort of like riches keep picking. Right? I still think that technology itself is still in its very, very early years, like this early dot-com um, period. Mm -hmm. um, so I can't really say that selection is going to be so widespread or so, you know, so many. But I would say that anybody who is passionate and who has devoted amount, a certain degree amount of time um, to learn and have done certainly with some contribution, have worked with some entrepreneurs. You don't mm. necessarily have to be a programmer. You don't have to know the coding or the hashtags or how to use MetaMask or Truffle to create blockchain um, usages, right? But the fact that you have been in the blockchain space and you have done you've done amount um, certain amount of work and understand what the technology is about. Um, the last thing I think we would want is somebody here who um, talks about blockchain without fully understanding or having done enough sort of research and make certain claims, yeah. I think it would be very difficult to have a conversation when it's purely based on belief or, or of what they've heard. Mm. I think where we want is people who, who have been in the ecosystem for quite some time, at least a year mm. or six months to a year, bare minimum, mm. to, to have a good grasp of what the, the, the technology is capable of and, and, and how would it progress in the going forward. We're talking yeah. about the future, right? So it has to be futuristic in a, certain, in a certain manner. Excellent. Well, that was a, um, a good sort of 101 on, on what's coming up on the Blockchain Asia show. And it's great to hear a bit about your story as well, Gustavo. Thanks for sharing that with us today. Thank you, Graham. Gustavo Liu. Great to see you on and hear from you on Asia Tech Podcast. And we will put all your details in the show notes if people want to contact you and find out a bit more about you as well. Sure. And you are going to go live in not a very long time. So you've got to go and you've got to run and get ready. So let's not yeah. um, keep you from preparing. Sure. Thank you. Muchas gracias, senor. De nada. We'll see you soon. I see you. <laughs> Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.